That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Rebecca Minkoff knows a thing or two about leading a company through tough times. During the 2008 recession, the fashion designer and founder managed to keep her new business afloat despite not making a profit. In fact, she wouldn't turn a profit for another 10 years. Her slow burn success is a testament to working hard and never giving up. And she's dedicated much of her career to empowering the next generation of female founders to achieve the success she has. She's bringing access, education, and connection to the female founder community through her Female Founder Collective Initiative, her podcast, Superwomen, and now her new book, Fearless. Needless to say, I can't wait to dive into the amazing career of this incredible entrepreneur and talk about her new book, which hits shelves on June 15th. So without further ado, welcome, Rebecca. Hi, and hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Amazing. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. We're so excited to have you guys. I see everyone sort of rolling in now. So tell us a little bit, you know, about where you're tuning in from, how you know about Rebecca, and we're going to dive straight into this talk and learn all about her new book, which I am so, so, so excited about. So if you guys have any questions, feel free to drop them in. I'll try to get to them, but let's go ahead and get started. So today, obviously, you're one of the most highly respected women in fashion, but let's go back to the very beginning. What first drew you to fashion in the first place, and what was the sort of beginning of your career path? So it all started with a dress that I wanted. I was around eight years old. I asked my mom to buy it for me, and she said, no, I'm not going to buy it for you, but I'll teach you how to sew it. And when you're eight, that is the last thing you want to hear. You just want the damn dress. She took me home. She like got out from like the depths of who knows what my grandmother's old singer sewing machine, which was over a hundred years old. And I sewed like a little handkerchief, but I got hooked. And when I had an opportunity to get really serious with it, there was an art teacher at my school who used to work in New York to start teaching me like real sewing design. 
you know, illustration. Um, my mom said, yeah, go negotiate with her the price of the art class. And if you can get her down enough, I'll pay for it. So that was kind of the impetus for that. And it was just something I could take into my own hands. I could control and I could have an idea for something and do it. So that was the beginning where I fell in love with sewing and design. First of all, I love your mom. I love how she's just like, oh, you want the dress? Make the dress. You want the class? Negotiate it down. Like that's, that's some good lessons early on in life. So what was a big breakout moment for you? Like I remember, I, I think I've told you this story, but like when I was living in New York, I remember having a Rebecca Minkoff bag like that. You had hit status like you were like, I'm an it girl with my it bag. And I remember buying my first one from your store in Soho and being like, I've made it like I thought it was so crazy. So what was that time like for you? Obviously, this wasn't a moment where there was a ton of female founders and a ton of big female designers. You were kind of one of not that many. It was incredibly exciting. You know, I launched the company in 2005. I think you probably bought that bag around 2006. That's when it had its like it bag. We were a whole crop. There was like about seven different designers that had suddenly hit this price point that was really affordable because there was nothing like you could buy a bag at, you know, a a drugstore for $10. And then you had Chanel and Louis Vuitton. And I don't know what you have to do to buy those bags. And so we were in the 500 below price point. And so for women who wanted a quality bag, it was incredible. So it was exciting then. I mean, our bags became these milestone moments, almost like tokens or symbols of, like you said, you made it. And I was just rushing around like a chicken with my head cut off, me and an intern out of my apartment, shipping those bags, going to garment center, negotiating. I mean, you name it, I did it. And I did it for a long time, you know, doing every aspect that it took to, to have that company exist and get it on arms like yours. I love it. And so obviously you've been doing that now for a while. You're a household name, but you really evolved your platform over time. So you started, you know, building things out like your platform for women. You also have your podcast, Superwoman, and then you also have the book. So why did you decide to launch Female Founder Collective? Like what was the impetus to kind of branch out beyond fashion? I think that the fashion industry felt incredibly cliquish and insular. I was always an outsider. You know, the big fashion editor in Devil Wears Prada didn't deem me the princess to anoint to become the next great thing. We were always brought about our success through the consumer. And so as I looked beyond my, the cliquish borders, I was like thirsty and hungry for other women founders who had done it. I was so sick of talking about the latest review in the New York Times that I was like, there's got to be more to life. Who else is out there that's a woman that's doing things and has a company? And when I found that community, for me, it was incredibly powerful. And then I felt selfish, like I had found something and I didn't want to just have it for myself. I wanted other women to experience it. So the podcast and Female Founder Collective actually launched around the same time where I wanted other women to hear other women's successes, failures, their vulnerabilities. But then I wanted to galvanize and create a community of founders. So, you know, you and I can pick up the phone and swap war stories as founders and help each other in a way that you can't necessarily do if you don't live and breathe the life of an entrepreneur. So they both grown and uh, we've helped tons of women. And, and I think the goal is that, you know, all ships rise with the tide. So the more we can help another woman get a head start or a leg up, the better we're all going to be. 
Absolutely. Which is why I'm so excited about your first book, Fearless, the new rules for unlocking creativity, courage, and success. Love it. Love it. And so you're giving away all this advice in this book, basically. You're telling everyone how to do it, how you did it, what you went through. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind the book and the process of writing it. So the inspiration behind the book, I had enough people be like, you should write a book. You should write a book. I kept thinking like the thought of doing a coffee table book of bags through the years, like made me want to vomit. I was like, I will never do a coffee table book. I was in the car with a woman who's an author and she said, you should write a book. And I was like, yeah, I get that a lot, but what about what? And she said, you have so much advice that you can give. So I thought if I began to shape the book with my vast 20 years story, that would be entertaining, but also give you these new rules to succeed, that that would be something that'd be interesting. So the process was a lot, as you know, I was very dismissive going in. I was like, all these people are so dramatic, complaining how hard it is to write a book. It's really hard. (laughs) So I was wrong. And then you think you're done when you've turned it in. And then that's just the beginning. Then it's like, how do I get this sold? How do I get people to know about it? How do I get it in bookstores? So it's my full-time job at the moment. It's been an adventure. And I always like, as an entrepreneur, you can get into a rhythm with your work. And then when you get to launch like the Female Founder Collective or launch a podcast or write a book, you get to flex those muscles of doing something from nothing all over again. And that's really gratifying for me. Yeah, it's a whole new experience in like a good in a good way. So when you're writing a book, you're talking about the new rules. So what are some of the new rules for success that you feel are important to stick stick to? One is one of the chapters is called take the risk, play the wild card. I think so many people miss out on incredible opportunities because they're afraid to take a risk. And my whole career has been about risk-taking. And every time we did something that was like newsworthy and, oh my God, I can't believe she did that. It was a risk. It, it, It was not like I didn't lose sleep that night. I think there's another chapter about sign your own permission slip. We get told we need to have permission for things as little kids. And then as adults, we still think we need to get permission. And that could just be the simple thing of looking for your friend to give you approval. Do you think I should do this? Is this a good idea? Don't ask your friend. If you think it's a damn good idea, go do it. You know, and those are two of the rules. And then the last one I wanted to share is networking. Networking is a two-way street. Social climbing is not. And so when you have opportunities like at this event to network with each other and build relationships, you might not know where they're going to head, but the more you can give and get with each other, I think you unlock tremendous opportunities with each other. Let me take a minute to talk to you about Urban Skin RX. If you're struggling with dark marks and uneven skin tone, then it's time to try this clinical skincare line made for diverse skin tones available at Walmart, Target, Ulta, and UrbanSkinRx.com. Urban Skin RX uses clinical strength ingredients that improve the look of dark marks, uneven skin tone, and help you get your glow on. You can find their award-winning Even Tone Cleansing Bar, a must-have if I do say so myself, and their other blemish-busting products at Walmart, Target, Ulta, and UrbanSkinRx.com. Plus, Work Party listeners can get 20% off using code CREATE20 when you shop online at UrbanSkinRx.com. That's 20% off today using code CREATE20 at UrbanSkinRx.com. You got what I need. 
Hi, I'm Elizabeth Kotz. And I'm Stephanie Sambari, and we are the hosts of That's So Retrograde. Heard of us? For the past 200 and some episodes, we've been trying to figure out what the hell wellness is. We have inspiring and fun conversations with all types of amazing people, from healers to comedians to whatever's in between. We're five years in, but we're just getting started. So hop on board every Thursday to join the party and route to living your best life. And don't forget your cannabis. Or to check us out on Instagram at So Retrograde. That's right. Bye. See you there. I love all of those rules. And I, I remember reading articles before I knew you where it was like, Rebecca Minkoff takes the runway digital or live or like doing, I remember you did something at the Grove and I remember being like, God, she just has it dialed in. You know, like you, she is on the pulse. But it's so funny because the perception and the reality are so different, but it's clear like you took those risks and they really paid off. So when you're looking at the next generation of founders, and I feel like so much has changed like in the past 10 years about running businesses, launching businesses. Now it's like you got TikTok talk, you got this, you have all these different things. It's so crazy. What advice would you give to the next generation of female founders? And what's the biggest takeaway you want from the book? Okay. My first advice is you all don't need to go raise gobs of money to be a success. Build a profitable margin positive business. It doesn't matter if you're not on the cover of a huge magazine. Most of those women who even I go, man, I wish I could get that have sold their soul not always in the best interests to have those companies. And so really take a look. Are you a company that should just be small and profitable and fund your lifestyle? Should you be a company that needs funding? What type of funding? There's so many options. And I think that people get this crack pipe addiction to like, they got funding, they got it. And you, you start losing why you did this in the first place. We didn't take funding in for seven years. We bootstrapped. People think my brother's crazy for what he did mortgaging his house, maxing out his credit card. But I'm not saying you do that, but just hold on to your baby as long as you possibly can. And if it means that you grow a little slower, it's worth it because you own so much more of what you are going to eventually sell or not. That's rule number one. And rule number two, I think that in this day and age where we can almost get anything we want by clicking this, your career is not that. This journey is not going to be that. You and I, you know this. You've been building this for how many years? I mean, uh, four thousand. Like. <laughs> I've been having for twenty thousand. I know. I know. <laughs> totally. That's true. So it's like twenty years, and I get to write a book, and I'm an overnight success. So please, please give yourself the patience mm-hmm. to know that this is a three, five, ten-year journey, and stop waiting for the button to get clicked because it's not going to happen with your career. It's so true. It's so true. I think, oh God, I forget when we were chatting about it, but you're like, I feel like everyone thinks they can like Uber success. And you said that to me at like a dinner and I was like, it's so true, but it's so interesting. And it's awesome to hear you say it too, because I was that person for a long time that was like, why am I not on the cover? I need to go raise money. I need to go raise money. And I remember my business partner in Crate and Cultivate was like, you don't need to raise money because you're making money. Like you don't need, but, and like you get on this like hype train of like, but wait, like all these other women are doing like, and I think that's so important to not get caught up in that. And like you said, seven years in was when you decided to do it after you had built a business, you'd gone through what you needed to go through. You knew what you needed to do. Like, and especially bootstrapping a product business. I mean, kudos to you guys. That That's crazy, but you know, you guys did it right. And like you said, it's a, it's a long road to success for sure, but worthwhile once you get there, especially when you own a large piece of it at the end of the, at the end of the day. So let's talk a little bit about money. Cause this is the money moves summit. So 
So in a recent interview, you opened up about your slow burn success and revealed that it took you 13 years to turn a profit. Can you tell us about the challenges you faced in reaching profitability and the lessons that you learned along the way? Yes. So we took longer than most brands to reach a profit because we were smoking what I talked about earlier. And we were like, grow at all costs. Doesn't matter if you lose, just grow, grow, grow. That was what everyone was saying. And that's what we did. And then one day back in 2009, I want to say it was like, just kidding, make a profit. We are only interested in companies if you make a profit. It was probably a little later than 2009. And so when you've engineered your entire supply chain infrastructure to just grow, it's a very different operated and thinking process than make a profit, make money. And it doesn't happen. It's not like you get to, again, press a button and that changes overnight. It took us several years to change everything around to be profitable. So that's why it took so long. It doesn't have to. And so what I learned about that time is had everyone listened to me, we could have just been a small, healthy, growing, profitable business. And we didn't need to chase these big, crazy companies that IPO. And that's awesome for them, but we could have met with the same end and had a lot less stress. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's also interesting because there's so many paths to success and there's also trends of like what's successful. Cause I think like everyone is like clubhouse has a bajillion dollar valuation or whatever it is. And it's like, I'm like, they don't make money on the flip side. We're over here trying to be profitable and like figure out it's like, there's no rules, right? It's just figuring out what works for you and your brand and what success looks like to you over, over that period of time. So one thing I want to talk about is, you know, kind of overcoming tough times. Obviously last year was insane and you did this before in the 2008 recession. So can you take us back to that time and give us some of the key lessons from 2008 and 2020? Okay. So in the 2008 recession, what we did to grow is very different than this last pandemic. So I'll share kind of both 2008, 2009, our prices for a bag was 495, 595. That was considered extraordinarily affordable. There was no one talking about lowering of prices. And just bear in mind, again, you had the drugstore PVC for $10 and Chanel. There wasn't an in-between. So 500 was like a steal of a century. The recession hit, everyone lost everything. And we had a very frank conversation with the retailer that said, if there's a five or a four in front of those bags and we come to see you in January, we're not going to be able to carry you. Or if we do, it'll be very tiny. Don't change anything about your bags. Don't take anything out of them. Exact same quality leather from Italy, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles, just make them cheaper. You got this, you can figure it out. And so what happened was none of my peers or my competitors at the time lowered their prices. They were like, that's stupid. No, they are not here today. If you remember the Kubas, the Folian Karinas of the world, there was a brand called Gusto. They're all gone. They didn't Never. exist because the customer, her income evaporated. Her 401k went up in smoke. And so when we lowered our prices to 195, 295, all of a sudden she was like, oh, she hears me. She knows that I'm not in a financial decision or position and she appreciates me and she, and she's going to give me something that I can still afford and has value. So it took about three months for her to really understand that. And so we began to see huge growth after that nail biting three months of what did we just do? And so over the next few years, we grew over 500%. Wow. Yeah. So that was 2008, 2009. Then we had 2020 in which 70% of my business evaporated before my eyes in a span of a week. Every single department store we sold to said, we're closed. 
we can't take an inventory. We don't know when we're going to reopen. And so overnight we had to pivot the company and become direct consumer, which we had, but that was only 30% of our business. But how do you pay the bills and live on the house you built? Yeah. That was the most challenging, stressful, crazy, intense time where we had to turn the entire company and, and become best of breed at e-commerce and what do you do in a situation where everyone's in the same boat? And so the fighter came back out and uh, we had to be smart and nimble and think outside the box and do everything we could to survive. I want to thank one of today's sponsors, Coors Pure. It's our sponsors that help us keep the work party going. So we appreciate your support. Living a healthy lifestyle is important, but it shouldn't stop you from doing the things that you enjoy. There are some days I wake up early, I eat healthy 100% of the time and do my best to keep up with all the wellness trends. Then there are others where simply using a standing desk or taking the dogs for a walk checks the box for me. It's all about balance, right? I recognize where I'm in my health and fitness journey and I celebrate guilt-free with a Coors Pure. Coors Pure is a refreshingly simple beer with organic barley, organic hops, and water. It provides the cold crisp I'm craving while living a balanced lifestyle. Coors Pure is the perfect beer to celebrate the wins of everyday life. So when you want to enjoy a beer, reach for Coors Pure. It's organic, but chill about it. Go to CoorsPure.com to see where you can find Coors Pure. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Albany, Georgia. Cheers. You also expanded into the beauty category. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So we launched fragrance in a pandemic. So let's launch something that you can only smell in person online. How's that going to go? It actually went well. um, And we're actually introducing a second fragrance this coming fall. But thank God all the work for that had been done before COVID hit. So we just simply had to launch a product in COVID. But at least a lot of the testing, all the development was already kind of done. Absolutely. Um, so what advice looking back, would you share for small business owners who are going through tough times? You know, what, what would be your biggest lesson learned? I think that you need to go back to what you did when you started and you have to be that scrappy. So when I say that I immediately began to go, how do I generate traffic to my site? That's organic because we don't have the money to pay for it. Okay. How do we do that? We'll do, we'll partner with other brands. We'll each promote each other. Um, we'll do giveaways with brands. We'll, we'll get new email addresses. And so whether people think that's a great strategy or not, it generated six figures in income for the company because of that. It generated six figures in new emails to the company just in the first couple of months. I think we said, let's try mail. We know people are at home. Let's do mail. Let's do text messaging. And we saw huge growth and sales from both of those platforms. So I think you have to try stuff. You have yeah. to experiment a lot. And leave no stone unturned. You cannot just wait for anything to happen, especially in pandemics or recessions. You have to be an animal. Yeah. And you have to have your team turn into animal. Truly. Yes, absolutely. So what would you say is the hardest money lesson you've had to learn over the course of your career? I think the hardest money lesson I've had to learn, and I still struggle with it today, whenever we're looking at spreadsheets or percentage of sell-through or whatever. I sort of just go a little cloudy and I'm like, ah, I'll leave it to him. He knows that that's his world. That's a huge mistake, especially as a woman, we have to know this stuff inside and out. Or even when it came to a mortgage, I was like, honey, you can take care of that or please take care of that. And so I think that the more we can talk about money, the more we can become more well-versed in it or 
playing with the stock market with a sum you're okay with losing. You know, I think the smarter you'll get because you have to know the business side. And anytime there's been an area where I was like, oh, I don't know it, I've made mistakes. So mm. we all need to get financially literate as fast as humanly possible. Yes. Falling in love with the numbers is so, so important. And that's a perfect segue into our next section, which is about advice. So women-owned businesses are growing in exponential numbers, but most produce minimal wealth for their owners. So what advice can you share for all women entrepreneurs listening today on building a profitable company, but also generating wealth as a female founder? First and foremost, and I'm telling you all the things I didn't do, you again, build your business to have a good, healthy profitability and then pay yourself. You know, I think as a founder, you can get into this sacrifice mentality. I certainly did of like, oh, I'll just put it into the business. Oh, just put it into that employee. You need to start paying yourself or you will never get that chance to. You got to build it into your sort of momentum to grow the company. And if you don't do that, then you will struggle forever with finding the wherewithal to do that. So it's almost like, okay, it's going to cost us an extra X amount to pay yourself, but you're going to be that much more satisfied and excited Then it's totally worth it. So pay yourself well, build a healthy margin into your company, and then make sure if there's even a little extra to save it for a rainy day. I think we save 10% of every dollar in a kitty for a rainy day because you never know what can happen. And you want to have a reserve that you know if who knows what happens? You, you have some cash 2020 all over again. So true. And I, I think that's great. I mean, I did not give myself a raise, I think for four or five years. And I didn't even think about it. Cause I was just like, I'm all about the company and la la la. And it took an employee, like our CEO, CFO like, who came in and was like, it's embarrassing how much you pay yourself. And I was like, Oh, re- okay, cool. We'll update that. But like, you're right. Like it's that, that mentality and creating a liquidity plan for yourself. All those things are things you just don't think about when you're starting the business. Cause you just want it to be so successful. Um, but I think it's really important. I think it's a mistake that a lot of people make early on just because they just don't know. We talked a little bit about being a female founder, but let's also talk about working women in general, right? So in fact, 95% of your brand's employees are women love. Why? Why is it so important for female founders to invest in women right now and especially women employees and and how their work and life are sort of shaping up? So we've all seen the statistics about how many millions of women have left the workforce this last year. So I consider that an opportunity and that's an opportunity for more women like us to hire more of this workforce or those women to say to hell with it. I'm not being supported in corporate America. They don't know how to help me. I'm going to create a business and I'm going to do something that's going to then hire more women and build it the way it should. And I used to talk pre-COVID, you know, I used to joke like the ideal working hours are 10 to four. That way you can like be a mom, get your kids to school, get in a workout, work for the day, get home if you want to make dinner for your husband or whatever, your partner. And that was completely unrealistic and no one else was going to do it. We couldn't afford to get behind as a company. And then the pandemic hit and we, we had to change everything and parenting and life became fused. And so my brother, who's my co-founder really became, okay, we don't care when you're working work, whenever it's really clear if you do or do not get the work done. We know that now. So take time off, come in late. So all those notions, and I think a lot of companies felt this sort of went away with it and it allowed a freedom that I think really supports women so that she knows if she has to do zoom school in the morning or take her kid to a soccer game, we don't care. And we're not questioning it because if the work gets done, it gets done. 
I love that. And I think that's so true. I think we were in the same boat, you know, we were doing events. I was very adamant that everyone be in the office, you know, like that we would have all these meetings and and obviously that flip-flopped entirely. And frankly, I kind of enjoyed it, like having a little bit of freedom. And I was like, wait a second, like this can get done. It's one of the, I think it's one of the, the positive shining lights that kind of came out of 2020 was the ability to be like, oh wait, we can all work remotely and get the same amount done and have a good work-life balance. So I think that's awesome. And I just want to let you guys know, please drop your questions in. I see a few popping up that I'm going to be asking in just a second, but let's talk a little bit about the non-glamorous side of running a company. You know, the job is often more challenging and alienating than the alluring title lets on. So can you tell us a little bit about how you cope with the difficult days, the days where things don't work out? What are some of the lessons you've learned or ways that you sort of cope with, you know, the stress of being a founder of a company? Yes. And let me just say this. It's most of that. It's 90, 10. It's mostly like, oh my God, you can't make this up. And then it's 10% like, this is awesome. (laughs) So, and I think I want to make that clear because everyone thinks it's what it looks like on Instagram. And then they get into the nitty gritty of the business. They're like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Well, welcome to the club sisters. It's going to be like this a lot. I like to take walks. I like to look out my attention on other things without my phone. You know, you can take a walk and be looking like right here, but like get out. When I'm in those situations, I have like a speed dial of a bunch of other women who are founders. So I can be like, what did you do about this? How do I fix this? Give me your advice on this. And they do the same with me. I've done that with you several times. And so I think that's always helpful. And then I also think that for, at least for me personally, like exercising my body, my mind, that's always helpful. I started getting very serious about that in the pandemic. And that was just to get away from my kids. I was like, if running outside is the only way I can get away from my children for 30 minutes, I am all for it. That's so funny. I feel like I got into exercise too. I feel like every female founder that was like, I'm too tired. I'm too stressed. I cannot work out. Everyone's like, I'm going to start working out, but it it is a great stress reliever. And I think it's so important to make, make time for that. So I'm going to take a few audience questions and then we're going to wrap with some rapid fire sentence finishers. Okay. So this question kind of ties into a little bit of what you said before, who do you reach out to when you need advice or support? And what advice do you have for fellow female leaders who might be struggling to find a support system? Well, I think if you're struggling to find a support system, look right here. The community you've created is an incredible support system. You know, get active in this chat right now and start everyone raising their hands. I need a, and I have a, right? Because someone's going to need something that you have and someone's going to be able to give you what you need. Again, like I said, I turned to other founders. I turned to my business partners. We have an incredible lawyer who's worked with us for the last six years. And he's on speed dial because he's a great mind and he can think through problem solving. So I got my women. I got my two men. Get a good lawyer. Like that's great advice. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. Okay. Here is another one. If you could go back to the beginning of your career journey with the knowledge you have now, what advice would you give yourself and why? I would definitely, definitely make sure that we were running a profitable, healthy business. I would say no to incoming businesses or opportunities that weren't that. And just an example, sometimes you feel like it's so, you're so honored that a department store wants to carry you. And then when you read the fine print, you're actually paying them to carry the bags in the store. And so we said yes to a lot of that because we thought we had to. I would just say no to any opportunity that would put me into debt or wouldn't right-size it with a balance of, okay, it's worth it because that's like advertising. And I would make sure that 
we had our eye on the right target. It wasn't just grow at all costs. It should have been grow healthfully. Yeah. Is that slower? Sure. But we're not in a race. Who are we racing against? So true. So true. This is a good one. I'm starting to rebuild my business now as a business owner. Where should I focus my financial energy? I think whatever makes you get a return. You know, I think some people also don't like the fact that what they want to be the best seller is not. Mm. And so they want to almost have their precious thing that's so personal to them, but then sometimes the business wants something else. And so how do you do both, but also know where your bread is being buttered and make sure that that is intact. You know, we had, let's say four bags over the last several years that have paid the bills, Wow. you know? And so if that bag is doing well and people want it, you just make sure that that sister is taken care of. And then you can launch your little things that are precious to you and 10 people order, but like, make sure that the things that are paying the bills are, are kept well, I was going to say well lubricated, but I shouldn't say that. <laughs> just lube those bad boys up. Just get them going. <laughs> oh, good times. Good times. Okay. So I hated this question when I was like doing my book rounds, but I'm going to ask you anyway, cause I was like, I just wrote a book, but it's like, what's next? <laughs> It's like, I have a podcast. I have a successful fashion line. I just wrote a book. I like, it's like, what's next? It's like, can I just sleep for five, five days? Okay. But what's next? We're launching the second fragrance this fall, which is very exciting. We're also launching home. So that's going to be some sheets and pillowcases and all that good stuff and loungewear. So you can match your bed, which is a dream of mine, you know? That's so exciting. Congratulations. Um, I did not know this. So breaking news, everyone. That's awesome. Definitely keep me posted on all of that and how we can support. So let's end with some rapid fire questions. Okay. Three traits that got me to where I am today are persistence, grit, and creativity. The boldest money move I've ever made is buying my first apartment in New York City. Uh Probably a great investment, I would say. My go-to interview question for a prospective new hire is... How do you feel about hard work? (laughs) And a fellow female founder I admire. Oh my gosh, just one. Um, Let me list them off. You, obviously. I love a good Jessica Alba and her hard work. I mean, look what she's doing with Honest and the IPO that is imminent. I love a Katya Beecham from Birchbox or a Divya Guyani from Wander. There's so many great ones. I feel like I've had most of those people on the podcast. So that that's amazing. And I define success as. Um, this is a longer answer, but you're going to have different moments of in your life when success means different things. So when I was first starting out, success to me was that I didn't have to call the back of Chase's bank card to see if I could afford to eat out that night. Hmm. That was a big moment where I knew I had more than a hundred dollars in my bank account. Then success was, I don't have to check email on the weekends and there's no fires burning. And then success now is I can, you know, be with my kids and not be so concerned and consumed that I can't be present with them. So I think as your role evolves, as your business evolves, success will mean different things to you along the way. Amazing. I love it. And can you tell everyone where they can buy the book, where they can follow you and all that good stuff? Yes. You can follow me at Rebecca Minkoff across all channels. I'm taking us a short hiatus from TikTok, but I'll be back there soon. I don't know how you do it. Like, I'm like, she's on every channel. It's insane. We said we're, we're taking it 
we're going to cut it down because mama can't do it all. And you can get the book at readfearless.com. And I have a ton of great offers for you. If you pre-order like so much stuff, you get a credit to my site. You get the first half of the book digitally. You get access to my masterclass. You get access to my June 15th event. Love it. Yay. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being on work party. We appreciate it. And thank you for being part of money moves. Thank you. Bye. For more inspiring conversations like this one, subscribe to Work Party on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. Work Party.